This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Lynda.com and Your Novel Year. I did just want to mention before we start this week's episode that Inquisitive is going to be going to a fortnightly release schedule. So that means that there will be one episode every two weeks, just for a little while as I'm working on some other big projects here at Relay FM. Um, I want to keep doing the show, uh, but I want to be able to give it the time commitment that it needs to make it as good as it can be. So we're going to go to one every two weeks. But for now, enjoy this week's episode. My name is Brian Irace, and my favorite album is Kid A by Radiohead. So, I have a confession for you. Let's hear it. Uh, I have never really listened to any Radiohead at all. How is that possible? I don't know. I just never have. I have always had this opinion that I don't like Radiohead, right? Having never really listened to anything that they've done. Now I'm worried that I suggested an album that was maybe not the one that you should have started with. I know the one that I should have started with, and that's going to be kind of my first question, is why Kid A and not OK Computer? You know, when we first started talking about doing this podcast, I actually told you at first that I was going to do OK Computer. And the reason that came to mind is I'm a huge Radiohead fan, and there were years when I listened to them nonstop. But I really haven't been that way over the last couple of years. I think I kind of just listened to it a little too much for a long enough period of time that I've kind of taken a step back recently. And Paranoid Android, the song on OK Computer, is... My favorite Radiohead song by far. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. So I haven't been listening to the albums a lot lately, but because I love that song so much, I just immediately figured OK Computer would be what I wanted to talk about. But then when I went back and listened to a bunch of albums uh, to start getting in the right mindset, uh, it was pretty clear that I think Kid A is the superior album overall, even though it doesn't have any particular song that I like as much as Paranoid Android. That is interesting, right? Because OK Computer is always on the lists, you know, the Rolling Stone lists and all that kind of stuff is one of the best albums of all time. Yeah, but Kid A is actually higher on that list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think Kid A is 64 or 67. It's right around there. And I think OK Computer is maybe like 110. Okay. Because the reason I say that is when I was a kid, or when I was younger, maybe in my teens, I think it might have been NME magazine or something, were doing their favorite albums of all time, and I bought the issue and I was leafing through it. And I think OK Computer came out at number one, and I was like, what? Like, I didn't, I'd never even really heard of it, and I was like, what is this? And I was very confused about it all. So maybe that was where my, uh, my, um, my unfair annoyance with Radiohead began, because I felt that whatever album it was that I loved the most should have been number one, rather than this one that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> so I just pulled up the Rolling Stone list, and they have, they have Kid A at 67, they mm-hmm. have The Benz at 111, and they have OK Computer at 162. All right, so Rolling Stones is very much in agreement with you. <laughs> Apparently. So tell me then, why uh, why do you love this album? Like, wh- what about Kid A uh, is is here in this spot? Like your favorite album? It's a it's a lofty thing to give. It's a lofty kind of title to give. What gives Kid A that title? It's just such a singular album, in my opinion. I don't know of anything else 
even by the same band, let alone by any other band that that just has the the vibe and the the kind of ambiance that it does. It just doesn't sound like anything else out there. And I think it's a pretty divisive album for that reason. But for me, it just really works. Can you remember when it was that you came to this album? Like, how did you come up? How did it come into your life? When was it? What was going on in your life at the time? I don't actually, and that makes me kind of sad because so many of your other guests had such great stories about the time that they first discovered their favorite album. Um, so I'm really kind of bummed that I don't have that. But I do remember originally hearing about Radiohead uh, through Creep, which was you know one of their popular first songs. And through Karma Police, which was kind of in the late 90s MTV music video rotation. And I didn't really like either of those songs. I think I thought that that Tom York's vocals were maybe a little whiny. I think I thought that they kind of just sounded like a lot of other alternative rock bands. Um, and it wasn't until uh, the Hail to the Thief album came out, which was probably around 2004, I believe that I finally listened to that album right when it came out, and that was kind of the first time I had listened to an entire Radiohead album uh, at once. It was 2003, and I loved it. And I have to imagine that it was right around then that I started going back through the other albums. So this was like right when I was finishing up high school, about to go into college. What do you think changed? you think it was just like a taste thing? I think it's the type of... I think Radiohead's the type of band where the more you listen to, the more you appreciate how varied some songs sound. And even if some of their songs maybe sounded a little generic to me, um, kind of hearing all the different styles that they emulate throughout throughout their entire discography kind of makes me able to appreciate those more because I know that they are not the band that a particular song might uh, make someone think they are. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I just think I had this initial reaction that they were uh, just a little bit typical and a little bit... Um, unspecial based on those songs and once i kind of heard all the different styles of music that they're capable of uh i clearly knew that wasn't the case <laughs> what kind of feelings does this album bring out in you now i think it's a really emotional album i mean i it's it's an interesting album because you know they'll claim that there's no real concept behind it that it's not it's not the type of album that they've always throughout their career been very um been very open about the fact that they don't think you should read too much into their music, that they make they make rock songs, they make pop songs. Um, they're not trying to have some grandiose statement uh, underlying all of it. But at the same time, I mean, Kid A definitely has a certain feeling that it gives off. It's a feeling of paranoia about anxiety. It definitely, there's an uneasiness that kind of permeates throughout the entire album. And... I think sometimes that is, it can be unnerving to some people, especially if uh, you don't find this style of music particularly enjoyable. Um, I also think it can be just very uh, emotional in a positive way. Like some of these melodies are, are sad, but they're just so beautiful. Um, and to me, it's just, it, it's really, really capable of transporting me somewhere that a lot of other albums aren't. Like it has such a distinct feeling to it that when I'm listening to this album, it's not something I, I can do while I'm trying to do something else as background music. It's very like captivating. I think one way to describe it when I listened to it this week for the first time <laughs> is that there are parts... You're such a terrible British person. I know. 
<laughs> there are parts of it that were like really wild, um, like national anthem. Is the one yes. that I would maybe point out the most is that there are parts of it, like uh, the way, like some of the horn stuff and things like that, that are completely crazy and devoid of like the rhythm of the piece. It's just like happening, you know. Now, would you say you enjoyed that part? Or I did not. not really. No, I d- <laughs> that that I did not like that bit. However, some of oh, the no. more calm songs uh and like you say some of the melodies were just beautiful like really beautiful and i'd never really liked tom york's voice and like you had said found it a little bit whiny but when on some of these songs it's almost like melodic and it really adds to the overall song i think and they specifically wanted his vocals on this album to not be treated differently than any other instrument. It was really just supposed to be another instrument along with synth, guitar, drums, bass. Um, and I think they pulled that off better than a lot of other albums that, that maybe try for a similar effect. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. Definitely. I mean, there, there are times where I, again, I, I still didn't like it, but there are times where <laughs> <laughs> there, but there are parts of it that I really, really did like. So I think it's in the same vein that how you came to them like I could imagine myself once I get used to the fact that sometimes it can get a little bit off the wall I might actually start to appreciate that for what that is as well as appreciating the rest of the music for what it is as well sure and so you have you gone back and listened to anything that came out prior to Kid A from Radiohead I just have listened to Kid A so far okay well would it help if I kind of gave a little bit of context about where they came from yes so their first album was uh, an album called Pablo Honey. It came out in 1993, and it was semi-popular, but I think it was generally considered to be a bit derivative. Um, there's elements of The Smiths and U2 and The Cure and other rock bands at the time. It had some highlights. Creep you know, was the one that became kind of a hit and, and still to this day has uh, quite a bit of notoriety, but I don't think anyone really expected... Um, that this band was special in any in any way from that album in particular. Um, and two years later, they came out with The Benz, which was another album that, you know, you would call it a rock album, an alternative rock album. It was definitely deeper than Pablo Honey in terms of uh, a much more layered sound, more complex um, arrangements, a more dynamic album. And this is kind of when you start to get the sense that there's more to this band than just, you know, distorted guitars and, and verse, chorus, verse, chorus, rock songs. And there's, um, apparently Tom York actually started to get disillusioned with the band's fame, like, pretty early because, again, Creep was a big MTV hit, and it seems like the Benz was their first kind of step towards um, making music that was maybe a little more challenging and a little more um, kind of not the radio fodder that they were you know, even only on their second album, already kind of trying to distance themselves from. Mm-hmm. OK Computer was just kind of continuing along that same exact exact direction. It was uh, a more abstract album, even more variety of sounds. Um, this is when they first started to introduce electronics. Um, not nearly to the degree that they do in Kid A, but 
there's keyboards kind of permeating throughout the album. There's electronic drum beats, some places where, you know, maybe a few years prior they would have used just a traditional drummer. Um, the record label thought it was going to bomb as a result of these, uh, these elements, but it was immediately a critical hit. And I mean, now it's considered one of the, the best albums of the 90s and uh, just kind of a landmark guitar-oriented album. Um, so after after a computer, everyone kind of just expected another smash hit rock album, and um, that's certainly not what they delivered. But again, if you kind of trace that progression, I don't think it's too surprising that Kid A was an album that took those, uh, I don't really want to use the word artistic, but took those more kind of experimental um, attributes like the electronics and the keyboards that they had started introducing earlier and really just went all in on it for lack of a better way of describing. Yeah, no, I can actually totally see that. That, that makes sense. Uh, Brian, I want to take a quick break and then once we come back, I still have a bunch of other questions for you. Uh, but I want to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode and that is lynda.com, the online learning platform that has over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive lynda.com is here to help you solve problems it's here for the things that you're curious about the stuff that you want to learn it's here for you to help learn the things that you've always wanted to advance that hobby start that business or just learn some skills that might help you better yourself in the workplace you can feed your curious mind at lynda.com you listen to this series and we talk about music a lot right obviously it's what the series is about it's about albums and Lynda.com actually has some courses to help you with learning music and learning how to use some tools to help you produce music on your on your computers and stuff like that, as well as practical things as well. I mean, and they have practical courses on all kinds of stuff, not just music, but what about stuff like photography? You can learn how to take great pictures, but you can also learn how to use editing suites to turn them into even better pictures. Lynda.com has courses on everything. They have courses on taxes. They have courses on learning marketing, on learning how to code, on learning typography color, design, you name it, they've got it. And these courses will be taught to you by absolute experts. They create fantastic videos that are really great to watch in little bite-sized chunks, so you can watch them in order, you can watch them down and watch them for hours if you want. You can create your own playlists, so you can watch whatever videos you want in whatever order, and you can also share these with colleagues, co-workers, and friends too. And I'm saying you can watch them in any order, you can also watch them in any place, because as well as being able to watch in your web browser, you can also watch your lynda.com videos on your Android or iOS device too. Your Lynda.com membership is going to give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com slash inquisitive to start your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much, Lynda.com, for their support of this show. How often do you listen to this album now? Well, like I said, I kind of went through a couple year period over these last few years where I didn't really listen to as much Radiohead just because I had burnt out on them pretty hard prior. Um, but I've just been on a tear the last couple weeks in preparation for this show. Like I, I can't believe how much unbelievable music one band has been able to put out over the course of of a career. It's I like feel like I've been missing out now over the last couple of years by actually not spending that much time listening to it. And, um, yeah, it's been pretty much nonstop the next few weeks, and I have a feeling that it's going to last for a while. There's just so much variety. I mean, even if Kid A is not your thing, they have so many great albums and so many different styles of music that, um, 
there's a lot there and whatever you're looking for, whether it's background music or something to listen to a little bit more uh, attentively, um, I, I just think there's enough Radiohead that uh, you can kind of find ways to, to fit it into most aspects of your life if you're interested. You mentioned earlier that they don't really tend to put concepts or too much meaning behind the music themselves. Is it a thing that you do or that you know that other people do, like to, to kind of put your own meaning onto the songs? Like, do you do you see something in them that you can reflect with? Um, yeah, I, I think it's possible that that people will listen to Kid A in particular, but really any Radiohead music, and be able to apply something uh, very personal uh, from their own life kind of onto the music. There is, like we said, there's some songs that are just heartbreakingly beautiful on here, and I think that could put someone in a really good mood. I think that could also put someone in a really bad mood. Um, but I think that's kind of a characteristic of some of the best music out there is, is it's not trying to say anything too particular about the band themselves. And it's really just putting it out there for you to, for you to figure out what it pertains to in what you have going on yourself. Aside from Radiohead, do you listen to other music from bands like this? Like, is this your style of music or are they, or is this band like a bit of a standout in that? Well, I don't know that there are many other bands like this. Um, <laughs> I would say I listen to lots of bands whose elements they incorporate into their own music. Um, uh, I mentioned Avex Twin is uh, clearly a big influence of theirs and also a band that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I listen to plenty of instrumental music, uh, electronic music, and you know this album was kind of their take on that genre. I also listen to plenty of bands that are a little more traditional guitar rock and you know that was kind of Radiohead's roots and even on their more recent stuff that's always been part of their style uh Kid A is the most uh guitarless album they have but you still have tracks like Optimistic which is a guitar heavy song so I would say I listen to a lot of bands that Radiohead's various styles um would match up with but I don't think there's any other band that I know of that has such breadth of the types of music that they produce does that make them special to you? Yeah, it does. Um, it really just feels like if you go through their their history and go through all their albums that there is a very distinct through line. And um, I think a lot of the knee-jerk reactions around Kid A when it came out were that it was like intentionally difficult, that it was like weird or different for the sake of being weird. Um, and, you know, it's totally understandable why someone might feel that way. But I think it makes perfect sense in in terms of terms of where the band was at that point in time how they were kind of fed up a little bit with um how many other bands were doing similar styles of rock that they had been kind of accustomed to being known for and i think that they've in the years since kid a came out they have toned it back i mean if you listen to any of the other albums afterwards none of them are nearly this uh rhythmic and this kind of there's there's much more uh, rock songs on the more recent albums, and not just rock songs, but acoustic guitar songs, or or just something a little more structured. Where Kid A was really like taking these influences that they clearly had and bringing it to its logical conclusion, and kind of just doing an entire album of that style of music. Um, and while they haven't made another album that's been quite as sparse, they have definitely had elements of Kid A that pop up in everything they've done since. Do you see? like influences of Kid A and other music that you listen to, do you think? 
as well as just stuff like what Radiohead has done. Definitely. I mean, nowadays there's keyboards in plenty of rock songs. There's synthesizers in plenty of rock songs. Um, there's a lot more bands experimenting with jazz elements, which wasn't really that common at the time. Um, I mean, Kid A, you could argue, is more of a jazz album than it is a rock album. There's a lot of a lot of those types of melodies in there. And again, the whole um, vocals as an instrument idea, I think, is something that uh, other bands have done as well. But I'm not going to say that it originated here, but I definitely think this is one of the kind of shining examples of how well it can work when done effectively. So to give a little bit more background on, on Kid A itself, um, no one could really agree on what the future of the band should be after OK Computer had come out. And they had writer's block, they were kind of burnt out, they were close to breaking up, and Tom was really insistent that they move in a more rhythmic approach and a less melodic approach. Like He didn't like the idea of just picking up a guitar and coming up with a few chords and then building a song around that. And there was a lot of strife internally because you know you have a drummer who is being proposed an album that doesn't have drums on half the songs, and you have a guitarist who, um, you know, there's only guitar on a couple songs. Uh, and it was really uh, stressful for them. But what they eventually did is they saw a hip-hop documentary where the musicians would record themselves improvising, and then they would, they would edit the best parts of those improvisations together using samplers and drum machines, and they would kind of construct a song out of their playing, but not their playing in kind of the sense that you traditionally record a song. And that was supposedly the moment where the whole band kind of rallied around this idea of recording a bunch of different instruments, getting outside their comfort zone, bringing in styles of music that they really hadn't embraced as much in the past, and trying to make something new out of it. And to me, at least, listening to the end result, it doesn't at all sound to me like a band that wasn't 100% on the same page. Like, it feels like it is an unbelievably cohesive and well-thought-out uh, single you know, piece of music that... It's broken up into tracks, but that really works well as a as a whole album. Let's talk about the tracks. This is my this is my favorite part of the show every week. Tell me about your favorite songs and your favorite pieces on this album, um, and why you love them so much. So I would say my favorite song is probably the national anthem, which you already uh, stated <laughs> that you weren't really a fan of. Um, and I can understand why you feel that way. the The horn section towards the end. I guess where a guitar solo would historically be included in a song of that nature. Instead, it kind of just devolves into this uh, these horns that almost sound like they're shouting at each other. Yeah. And they actually, um, apparently, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood conducted the musicians intentionally to sound like a traffic jam. That that describes it so perfectly. Uh, mission accomplished, right? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently Tom York actually broke his foot because he was jumping up and down so much while he was conducting oh my God. for that part of the song. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love a good guitar solo. There's plenty of music I like um, that has plenty of that. Um, but to me, this is just something else. It, yeah. it just completely... Uh, it works for me, and I could totally understand why it wouldn't work for someone. But it's just... I, I don't know of anything else like it. And the bass line that is you know, the prominent bass throughout that song is...
It's so simple. It's like four notes. It's like the simplest notes. Anyone who's never played a bass guitar before in their life could pick up a bass and learn how to play it. But for some reason, just the sound that it has when they play it, it just sounds like the coolest bass line ever. And it, it just makes me want to want to bob my head every time I hear it. And uh, it makes me want to play the bass guitar just so I can play that that riff over and over again. Did you end up getting a chance to watch the video of this song that I sent you? you? I did, and I was just about to mention this because you sent me a version that they played on Saturday Night Live, and I found it way better because it didn't have all the craziness in it, and I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot more. It still has some of the craziness. It's not as much, and it's not for as long. Sure. So I love this video for a couple of reasons. Um but I think the main one is that if I didn't know the context, like if, if I had never heard of Radiohead and somebody showed me this video and before they showed it to me, they said, this is one of the most popular rock bands in the world at the height of their fame, at the top of their game. And then they play the video for me. I, I would be like, yep, that is, you're right. That is clearly a rock band who knows exactly what they're doing, who, you know, the crowd is into it. I would never have guessed that it was actually them playing a song from an album that was extremely divisive and that was a huge deviation from the sound that everyone kind of had become accustomed to. Um, and again, if you just watch that video and you don't know anything about it, I think most people would agree that it's that it's great. Even if it's not your style of music, there's just an energy that they bring. And it's simple music, but the way that they play it with such ferocity, I, I think it's just transcendent. And um, meanwhile, here you have this world-class guitarist who's, I'm sure there's a Rolling Stone list of best guitarists of all time, and I'm sure Johnny Greenwood is pretty high up there. He's not playing guitar in this video. He's playing some weird, primitive electric instrument that sounds... He's on, is he on the floor? Uh, there's somebody, like, like crouched down on the floor pressing a bunch of pedals yeah, and buttons. Yeah, that is him. And it's, it's an instrument called the On Martineau, which is, like, this really weird, esoteric instrument primarily used in classical music but he's incorporated into radiohead sound ever since today and it's definitely doesn't sound like anything else uh <laughs> but again he's an unbelievable guitarist and he's not playing the guitar in this song he doesn't play the guitar in a lot of this album or even a lot of subsequent albums but without that context i, I think someone would watch this and just be like this is great clearly they have their you know musicians playing the instruments that they're best known for um, and then you have the uh, the Saturday Night Live house band who's doing the the horns and <laughs> say what you will about that horn section, but I imagine they were probably having the time of their life out there compared to what what they do for most musical guests. Yeah, because it's like go crazy, guys, you know. But I really enjoyed it, and and I agree. Like they look so comfortable and and confident in what they're doing. Like it reminded me of the first time I saw that. Now I think probably infamous Future Islands performance on Letterman. Sure. Um, where it was kind of just like, I have like no idea what I'm watching here. I've never seen anything like this. But they seem very, very confident that they're the best band in the world. So confident that it forces you to believe it just from watching. Exactly. Like, I'd never heard of Future Islands when I saw that, that video. But then I was like, I want to know more about this band. Well, I hope now you want to know more about Radiohead. I am, especially, like, I mean, this is a similar thing with most of the episodes. Like, the more that I get to hear somebody talk about um, an album and why it's important to them, the more I am drawn to it, you know? Because it's like saying all these things and it's like, you know, this is obviously something that's super important. So 
it makes me want to check out more of it. And I do want to listen to more of it because, as I said, it, I, I didn't have a bad reaction to it. There were just certain points where I just wasn't, I just wasn't sure, you know? Yep. Okay, Brian, I still want to ask you about your other favorite tracks from this album. But before we do that, let me just take a moment to thank our second sponsor for this week's episode. Today's show is brought to you by your novel year from the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing at Arizona State University. This is the only online certification program in the United States for those looking to write young adult or science fiction fantasy novels. The certificate program combines intensive workshopping under the guidance of award-winning instructors with one-on-one mentorship with world-class authors in your genre, like Nova Rensuma, Amy Nichols, Jeff Marriott, and John Helfers. The goal is to provide you with a structured environment in which you can write your own novel in just 18 months. The program is a unique combination of six workshop courses and two periods of one-on-one mentorship designed to take you from your first words to the final manuscript. You'll start with a writing intensive and then travel through a series of three workshops in which you'll share drafts of chapters with the small cohort of talented students that are in the program along with you. And along the way, you'll have two opportunities to work one-on-one with an accomplished author in your genre. Finally, you'll take courses in revision and publishing designed to get you ready to submit your manuscript to agents or editors. Admission to this program is competitive and it is by application only. They like to keep the group small, between 10 to 14 students, and this would give everybody involved in the course the chance to forge a connection with others who are also involved with the same creative endeavor and goals in mind, like-minded people for sure. And because this program is online, you'll be able to take the class from the comfort of your home whenever it's most convenient for you. However, there are also a bunch of opportunities for you to get to meet with your classmates in person as well as online. By writing on a daily basis and following the steps of the program, by the end of 18 months, you'll have been given all of the tools you need to have finished a book-length manuscript. You get out of it what you put in, and your instructors and fellow course members will be cheering you along the way as you reach the completion of your novel. You can find out more and sign up today at piper.asu.edu slash novel and a link will be in the show notes thank you so much to your novel year for supporting this week's show so what other uh, tracks on the album other than national anthem uh are favorites of yours or really speak to you i think the track right after it uh how to disappear completely is one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard and yeah i fell in love with that song it comes in right after the national anthem which mm-hmm has those that crazy horn part that kind of never never ends it kind of takes you through to the end of the song and how to disappear completely is probably it's probably the first time if you had just put on today and you were giving it its first listen this is probably the first time when you would recognize the music as being radiohead music The first three tracks are just so different than everything they've done before. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that could have one of two very different reactions. I feel like you could hear that and be like, this is amazing. And now everything that came before it kind of makes a little more sense to me because the the impact of having the, the horns and, and bass and drums drop out into that acoustic guitar is just so profound. Like the contrast is, is works so well. 
I can also see it angering people and being like, <laughs> clearly you're still capable of writing normal music that is really good. So why are you wasting your time writing these other songs? <laughs> I did really, really love this song. Um, like I, I made notes about how much I loved it. Uh, and it's haunting. I mean, it's yeah. really, really, uh, yeah, wow. This is where Tom York's voice really plays its part in, in the best way. Um, because he, his beautiful, like almost, I don't know, like harp sounding voice that he has, you know? And, and it really, when I was listening to it, I was like, this is, this is a very special song that I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, what did you think of Idiotech? Uh, I don't remember by the names. So Idiotech is, is towards the end of the album. It's, there's almost no instruments other than a really repetitive electronic drum sound and then uh, like four keyboard chords that are just played over and over again and then it's definitely the most I guess aggressive or most uh, kind of in your face song on the album Tom York's vocals are just very they have a kind of like an anger to them that that uh, is not really found elsewhere But that's definitely a favorite for me. It's a staple of their live shows. It's really just an opportunity for them to... Um, uh, it's definitely a song that benefits from from the, the live performance uh, atmosphere. But I'll, I'll send you the... That's the other song they played on SNL. Um, and I purposely did not send it to you because it's definitely a little bit more out there. Uh, <laughs> and I wonder if the live audience was as into it as they were into the national anthem. But that's a special one for me. It's just... It's so different. And so many other bands would be... Uh, would have a hard time stripping it down to just kind of the electronic drums, keyboard, and and vocals. Uh, you know, no guitar at all. And again, it's a it's a loud song. It's a it's a fast song. So it would traditionally lend, lend itself well to distorted guitar uh, or at least bass. But yeah, it just works so well without it that I think it. Um, I think for a lot of people that were maybe not really sure where they were going with this album, hearing that song kind of validates uh, the power of kind of stripping down. The music and and focusing on like a couple of key elements and then making those really really good. You mentioned about um, it's part of their live shows. Do have you seen Radiohead live a bunch? Have you seen this album played live? I've seen them three times, and I've also seen Tom York do a solo set. And uh, I've actually have you ever seen the movie There Will Be Blood? Uh, no, I haven't. No? Well, uh, the guitar- Radiohead guitarist is a uh, composer as well. Um, right. He composes soundtracks. Uh, he's done the last few Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And he did the score for There Will Be Blood. And I, have s- I saw a showing of the movie where they had a full orchestra and him performing it. So that was that was really cool. But in terms of this album live, I've seen... They played the national anthem at every show that I've been to. Um, that's kind of a staple of the live shows. They played Idiotech at two of them. They played Everything in Its Right Place, which is the album opener, also at every show that I've been to of theirs. They played How to Disappear completely once, the most recent time that I saw them, in 2012. And I also saw them play In Limo in 2003. So basically, Idiotech, National Anthem, and Everything in Its Right Place are are regularly featured in the live shows. You're, you're almost always going to see those when you go to see them. But the other ones are a little fewer and further between. They played Kid A, the title track, the most recent time I saw them as well, which is an interesting song when you think about it being performed live because it's probably one of the more uh, 
glitchy and kind of subdued tracks on the album. But yeah, fantastic live band. When you listen to music, uh, do you listen for lyrics or music? Uh, almost entirely music. Generally, for me, lyrics just need to avoid being bad enough that they're distracting. I mean, there are certainly a handful of songs whose lyrics are particularly important to me and that I really, really enjoy, but generally, that's just not really the case. And I think Kid A actually jives with those sensibilities quite well because, you know, like we mentioned before, the vocals were not meant to be vocals per se. They're meant to be just another instrument. Um, and they actually intentionally did not print the lyrics in the liner notes of this album for that reason. They didn't want huh. them to have any more prominence than, you know, say the bass notes or the or the guitar part. Is that specifically different for this album over other Radiohead albums? I, I think it was. Um, I don't know if they kept up that trend for the ones that came after it, but I'm pretty sure that they had them in the ones that came prior. Why do you think that they um, even have lyrics if they downplay them? so much <laughs> it's funny the, the lyrics to this album were actually written by tom kind of coming up with bits and phrases here and there and then putting them all into a hat and and randomly drawing them out <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i don't think every song was written that way because some songs uh like how to disappear completely for example and um some of the ones that are a little more traditional i guess uh you know you can tell that they actually are not just random bits and phrases but others it, 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 they totally do sound that way. Um, and again, I think it was more about a general, a general feeling that they wanted to evoke and less about, um, you know, telling a story in any individual song. So I think they had phrases that they thought kind of fit into the overall mood they were going for. And it, it just didn't seem particularly important to them that, that those phrases be in any, in any order or, or really like, uh, feed into one another. So crazy to me. Um, it's kind of like an anti-lyrics album in that way. Yeah. See, because as somebody who, I mean, I, lyrics are the most important part to me. The idea of somebody just picking th phrases at random just seems so alien, you know? And it <laughs> almost kind of seems like a little bit disrespectful to the music. But that the thing is, is they are, I guess what they're actually doing is paying the most respect to the music that they want to make, and so that's the way that they do it. Yes. But it just seems so crazy to me to, to write songs that way. <laughs> yeah, and again, I don't know exactly how much of the album that was the case for, but uh, Morning Bell in particular, it's a song that, if you read the lyrics, it sounds like it's about, it sounds like it's about divorce or some kind of a separation. Um, so there is like a, a, a theme there, but from any given line to the next line, like, each one is kind of standalone. Like, he'll repeat something a few times and he'll say something else. And there is a thread connecting them, but it's not, like, if you were writing it in order to write a single, you know, a single verse, you wouldn't probably have drawn much of a connection between, you know, the first line and the second line. Have you ever tried to kind of sit people down and play this album for them? <laughs> It's funny you should ask that because I was listening to another episode of this very podcast when, when you asked Dan Provost that question and his, uh, reaction was, well, yeah, it's not like I'm trying to get them into Kid A or anything. And this was about, <laughs> this was about maybe two hours after I decided that I was going to go with this over OK Computer and standing in the line at the grocery store and just burst out laughing. Um, uh, I, I, it, it simultaneously 
felt like it had validated my pick and also kind of made me question it a little bit. But I don't really think that I have tried to get people into Kid A as an album. I definitely tried to get people into Radiohead as a band. And generally, I don't find that to be that hard because, like I said, there's so much variety in what they do that I do think that there's something for everyone. Maybe you won't like every album, maybe you won't like every song, but there are certain certain tracks, certain albums that if I know what style of music you tend to like, it's generally I'm generally capable of finding something from Radiohead that, that you'll enjoy. Uh, but I don't know. I understand that it's a really weird album, that it's pretty out there. And um, uh, like I said, some of, the, some of the sounds and melodies in this album just work so well for me, but I can totally see why it wouldn't work for somebody else. So I generally don't try and and push it too, too hard on anyone, especially considering it is so critically acclaimed. I imagine people, you know, they go look at Rolling Stone, they go look at Pitchfork. Pitchfork named it their top album of the, the 2000s, of the entire decade. Um, so I think it's pretty easy for people to discover it if, if you know, they're kind of looking for new stuff. I don't think it really needs championing um, for me. But there are definitely individual songs on here, um, Idiotech being one of them, that... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely try and get people to, to like, and uh, generally it, they do, even if it's not the style of music that they traditionally would listen to. What formats do you own the album in? Um, just digital. Yeah. Uh, Apple Music, and as well as MP3s that I honestly couldn't tell you where they came from. <laughs> Almost certainly not somewhere illegal, but <laughs> they were acquired, I don't know, 10 years ago, and, and, uh, They've been with me ever since. I mean, one of the reasons that I am familiar with Radiohead, having even never really listened to too much of the music, I mean, you know, I know a bunch of the big songs, of course, like, you know, everyone knows Creep. I love Creep. Um, but I'd never really spent too much time listening to them. But one of the ways that I know about them was because of what they did with In Rainbows. And yep. one of, I mean, for anybody that doesn't know, or just for a refresher, Radiohead were like one of the first bands and definitely the biggest band at that time to basically put out an album and it was just pay what you want and you could download it for free or you could give them some money. Um, and they had like special box set editions and stuff like that. But it set off a trend of which doesn't actually really happen as much now because it's kind of become a normal thing with, with services like Bandcamp and stuff like that. But that was a, a thing, you know, for for a while, like musicians were trying this, um, like Louis C.K. Is, is known to be do, done stuff like this, and, and many people have since, but it was definitely Radiohead that kind of spearheaded this idea of a pay-what-you-want and direct-to-people to kind of scenario. Yeah, and I think it worked really well for them, and it's certainly not something that any band could pull off but again, the people that tend to like Radiohead tend to really like Radiohead and really respect them as musicians and want to to champion not only them and the music they make, but also, um, you know, this style of distribution. Yeah, for it to take off, it had to be a very specific type of band. And it obviously seemed like they were the ones that were able to to make that happen. Totally. So one thing that's interesting about Kid A is... You know, we kind of touched upon it a little earlier where some songs don't have drums, some songs don't have guitars, but almost every band member on this album is playing at least one instrument, if not more, that are out of their comfort zone. Um, you know, the National Anthem, as we've discussed, 
has this really, really great kind of iconic bass riff that um, uh, the song starts with just bass, and and you know when they when they play it live, it's that's kind of the introduction to it. And on the album, the bass part was played by Tom; it wasn't even played by their actual bassist. And that might seem weird, but I think that the way that they recorded this album, where they were all kind of just improvising, trying different things, recording it, and then kind of picking the best parts out of those recordings and and looping them or or stitching them together. Uh, that's just kind of the thing that would happen is you'd end up with these parts that were played by someone that didn't traditionally play that instrument. And one of the reasons that they're so good live um, is that they switch instruments. They'll have some songs where they have multiple drummers. They'll have some songs where Tom's playing the piano, some songs where he's playing the guitar. Uh, you know, Johnny is obviously playing guitar for the most part, but he also plays that, that on Martino, that kind of weird electronic uh, instrument. And, they're just so much more flexible as a band having written and recorded this album. And it really shows on the future albums as well as on on stage when they're playing live. So I think that you could make a case that if Kid A was actually terrible, and you know a lot of people might probably do think it is, it was just a complete failure commercially, critically, that it might have still have been a worthwhile exercise to go through just because of the impact it had long-term on their live shows and and their future sound, like the way that they incorporate electronics to a lesser degree in all the other albums, um, you could make a case that, that it was important for them to really try and, and go all in on one album in order to figure out what they're good at, what works, what doesn't. Um, so from that sense, like, the album didn't really have any business being amazing, uh, but it is, and like it's considered by many, myself included, as their crowning achievement. Um, and I just find that that fascinating that that they, they went through this kind of exercise that, that again, like, might have been a good strategic exercise, even if it didn't provide anything fruitful in the short term. Uh, but it actually ended up succeeding on on both fronts. I mean, they got what what many consider to be their their kind of staple, their their landmark album, and they also got a new sound and new flexibility that would uh, pay dividends throughout the rest of their career. It's so interesting to me to approach it that way and to have that kind of result. To just be like, we're going to give this a go. We're going to see how it works out. We're all going to kind of roll up our sleeves and get involved on this one um, and kind of create something that is maybe, you know, because of the way it was produced a little like down and dirty, you know, like we're all kind of part of this and yeah, I'll play the bass here. You do that there. And it's interesting to then, as you say, to come out with something that was a great success when maybe in actuality it was a process that they decided that they wanted to go through. Yeah, I just think that... And they've been a band, band that... They, they state that they've never consciously tried to deviate their sound dramatically or, or just, like, go out of their way to be different. And, again, I think people could roll their eyes at that and say, well, you know, listen to OK Computer and then listen to Kid A, and, and you know, I, I don't believe you when you tell me you're not trying to, to be different. But, again, I really do think that there's a natural progression through the albums and that becoming... Uh, famous, I guess, really early on with Creep was kind of just like set the tone for a little bit of a kind of anti-establishment, like we don't just want to be this rock band that there are lots of others like and we're going to just continually push the envelope. We're not going to be different for the sake of being different. We're not going to go in a really weird direction just because we think that people will appreciate it. We're really going to try things out and experiment and see where it takes us and if you listen to In Rainbows in particular, I think that album is the best kind of distillation of, uh, you know, we've, we've learned a lot of different instruments, we've played a lot of different styles, and now we can just make an album that is like an unbelievably 
good blend of all these things. There's not too much of any one particular thing on that album. It's very tight. It's not a long album, but it just, everything just feels very natural. Nothing feels out of place at all. Um, they all feel like Radiohead songs. They all sound like Radiohead songs, but they kind of evoke different eras of Radiohead simultaneously throughout the entire album. Saying about that that natural progression type thing, it reminds me of one of my favorite bands, the Arctic Monkeys, and they, I think they're up to five albums now, and their best albums are their first and their fifth. And in the middle, you could really see them evolving their sound, like as they grew older and they started meeting new people and meeting new musicians, you could see and feel how their music was changing. And like now, like with their kind of their two best works, it's so easy to draw the line that enabled them to get from point A to point B. And and it is so like, you know, whether they tried to force their sound change or not, you can see how just the effect of people learning new skills and meeting new people and listening to new music themselves is something that propels a band's sound to just change. Definitely. So did you get a chance to listen to the, the John Mayer version of the title track? I did. And what did, what did you think of that compared to the actual song on the album? Um, I, I really liked it, but for different reasons. It sounded like a different song. Right. To me, like it didn't sound the same, right? Because obviously the voices are so different, but it was like it was just arranged differently. It it sounded like a different piece of music to me. So to give a little bit of background, the the song Kid A, the second song on the album, is very quiet, very minimalistic, um, entirely electronic in terms of the instruments, and even Tom's voice is, uh, I think, vocoded is the term. I, I'm I'm not a musician, but his voice is run through some kind of processing. Um, that makes it sound a little bit robotic. And on one of his one of his B-sides, John Mayer has a um, an acoustic guitar cover of just him singing over the chords for Kid A. And again, kind of like How to Disappear Completely, I feel like someone might hear his cover and just have a completely different reaction. They're either going to think, oh my God, like this is actually a great song, this is a great melody, um, and I have like a newfound appreciation for the Radiohead version, um, now that I'm kind of hearing through my initial gut reaction that this is, you know, a little bit too electronic and weird for me, um, and I kind of hear the underlying beauty of it, I could also hear someone uh, listening and being like, well, why didn't Radiohead just do it this way? This is way better. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But the fact that, um, you know, I think he's a great musician, and the fact that he heard that song and and took away, you know, something similar to me, that this is actually, like, really beautiful and... The fact that it's a little atypical um, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but hey, I can make a slightly more typical version of it. Um, I, I like both of them a lot. Are you proud of this album choice? Yeah, of course I am. Um, it does make me feel a bit strange if somebody asks and I say that Kid A is my favorite album. It sounded weird when I said it at the beginning of this show. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I think that if someone asked me my favorite album and I told them Kid A, that there'd almost be an equal chance that they would say, me too. I love it. It's amazing. I, it's the best album ever made. I think there's an equal chance they'd say, oh, that's such an unoriginal pick. It's, you know, Pitchfork's top album of the 2000s. It's it's the pick that all the people who want to sound cooler than the people that just got into Radiohead will say. Um, and then I think there's an equal chance as well that they would have never heard of it. And if I played them for them, they would think it was absolute garbage. So I, I don't think there are many albums that have such... Acclaim, and also such a high probability of 
somebody just absolutely hating it. I think if you look through all those Rolling Stone top albums of all time, obviously this is all very subjective, but I feel like if you had, you know, a large group of people listen to the top 100, um, I feel like this is an outlier in that a much larger percentage would just think it's not good at all compared to the rest of the albums on there. Um, at the same time, it it is really popular and critically acclaimed. So, you know, people tend to not like when their favorite albums get too popular. And if I look at this from a positive perspective, I feel like I kind of get to have my cake and eat it too because my favorite album is incredibly well-respected, um, but it's also not really that popular in terms of you know, the average person probably hasn't listened to it and they almost certainly probably don't like it if they have listened to it. So, yeah, I think that in that regard, it's an easy pick for me. Um, and, you know, just like I did today, I'm, I'm happy to defend it <laughs> in any in any situation. Uh, I just think it's a very singular piece of music. I don't think there's anything else that sounds like it, even from, even from them themselves. I mean, they actually recorded enough material for two albums and they were during the uh this recording sessions for kid a and they released the second uh set as a an album called amnesiac and they actually are emphatic about amnesiac not being the songs that were not good enough to make it on kid a they're not just a bunch of b-sides it's not a compilation it's a real album um and there are parts of it that that you know sound kid a-esque but there are also lots of parts that don't. And I really do think that they just had a lot of songs written and they, they were cognizant of constructing two albums that that worked um, on their own. So, yeah, I am proud of it. I think it's phenomenal. I think if people think that it's garbage that <laughs> they don't have to listen to it, but I'm going to keep listening to it. And when people ask, I will say it emphatically and I will go on their podcasts and uh, and defend it. In uh, 2006, uh, I like this quote a lot, Time Magazine called it the weirdest album to ever sell a million copies. And uh, I just think that's a great a great way of sum, summing it up. It's It may have a small fan base, but its small fan base is, is rabid, and it it tends to include a lot of people that uh, know a lot about, about music and, and kind of where it fits in historically in the kind of progression of rock music. Another quote I really like is that right before this this album came out, uh, somebody said, if there's one band that promises to return rock to us, it's Radiohead. <laughs> and suffice to say, they were not thrilled with what the album ended up being. And uh, they subsequently, the same reviewer um, wrote a negative review and subsequently said, Kid A's status as a cultural cornerstone has proven me, if not wrong, then very much in the minority. People whose opinions I trust claim it to be their favorite album ever. Um yeah, I don't know. It would be hard for me to pick something that is so clear-cut as my favorite. The fact that it's it's something that, that can either really work for you or just kind of completely miss is... I, I wouldn't say that that's like the reason I chose it, but I definitely think it makes it uh, a little bit more special. 